Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and this is a special Father's Day edition. And I am seated with the fantastic Julian Fayard, who is one of the most respected and amazing winemakers in the Napa Valley. Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, Michelle, thank you for having me. I'm very blessed uh, you chose me for that podcast. Yes, because you're one of my most favorite winemakers, and you make some of the most fantastic wine. So thank you for joining me on this very special Father's Day show. So let's jump in and talk about Father's Day, and then we will talk about your career and your personal life and all that other fun stuff. Are there some memories that you have with your father, some special memories that you can share? There is uh, one time he took us, uh, so we lived on the French Riviera, and uh, he lived in a house that is uh, in the Presque Island, and there is very rocky. And he bought us uh, wetsuits, and we went and swam in the, you know, in the water. It was cold, and that's the first time I was wearing a wetsuit, and it made me understand you can stay longer in the water, you know, and you can swim any time of the year. And I surf quite a bit, and I have a passion for that. And I think uh, that's the first thing that enabled me to be able to go in the water, enjoy the water more. And we started windsurfing, so I would windsurf with him, uh, and then started surfing. And so that's maybe an anchor uh, from him that really came early on and gave me the appreciation for being in the water and being able to go anytime in the water. Is that something that you have maybe shared with your children? Have you thrown uh, yes. them in the water? <laughs> they, they, they've been thrown in the water quite a bit. It's in enabling, you know, uh, mm -hmm. your kids. And I felt I was enabled to discover a new uh, capacity or a new world. And I did it with the kids. Uh, the little one still, she's a little more careful. Uh, and she's seven, uh, Maya. Yes, I guess we should say uh, you have three children. Correct. And what are the age ranges? So right now it's uh, 10, 9, and 7. Okay. Um, and Kian got in the water pretty early on. And I would, you know, make them try to go surf with me, but mostly enjoy the being in the swell. There is learning in a swimming pool. It's, I mean, you, you should learn swimming, uh, but um, diving in the swell, uh, you know, two or three foot swell and being pummeled and being pulled out is uh, an experience and it can be really uh, scary for a little kid. Sure. Uh, but once you pass that fear stage, then they really enjoy it. And Emeline, actually, uh, every time we go, she spent two to three hours. I have a hard time getting her out of the water, actually. <laughs> so it's exciting because uh, it's a passion we can share and we can do together. And if I'm at the beach, if they want to go in the water, they go. If they don't, they don't. But we spend the time together. And I think it's even better because it creates uh, beautiful days. Absolutely. Uh, what are some other... Um special memories that stand out that you can share that you have with your children yeah i mean they're little so we're building a lot of them and i'm actually anticipating many of them but 
I think uh, there is that passion for the beach and the pleasure of being at the beach. Uh, and there is uh, the food. Uh, there is an event where Kian di actually didn't want to go see his grandma because it's a seven-hour drive. And he didn't not love his grandma, but it, he didn't want to do the drive. And it was the middle of harvest. And so Ilan stopped and she's like, hey, uh, can we keep Kian for the week? And, you know, I'm sitting there. It's harvest, skittle. It's and I'm like, that's not going to help. <laughs> but... At the same time, I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And I, I really wanted to please him uh, also. And I felt like just one is more manageable than three. It's amazing how uh, you become, uh, everything gets relative when you have three. And he stayed with me. We gave him uh, a shirt. We have company shirts, uh, team T-shirts. And I put one and I put him in the cellar. And I said, well, you're going to help the guys. And you're going to help here. You're going to help them. But you're going to work all week. And uh, I think after the second or third day, uh, like I would grab my cell master, I would be like, hey, uh, do you need Kian for this? He's like, yeah. And he will go, he'll pressure wash bins. He'll do a little job like sometimes when we drain tanks, you have to rake the seeds. And it's a little job that takes time, but you have to do it. And it's a detailed job. And so he, w he was doing it and he really enjoyed doing it. He enjoyed showing up and helping the guys. And his word will be like, hey, can we go help the guys? And I was like, okay, let's do it. He's uh, a winemaker in the making. Uh, well, we'll see. Or cellar master if, right if, now. <laughs> if I create a passion or an allergy. <laughs> it's a little uh, early yeah. to tell. And then at night, uh, one night, I remember it was fairly late, but we went to Angèle. Mm, and we yes. sat at the counter. And we did uh, snails and a couple of other dishes. And, you know, it was kind of the end of a long day. And he really enjoyed the snails, so we learned to cook it together. And now he asked me, we order the snails, we cook them. He even corrects me on the way I should chop, you know, parsley and everything. So it's 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 creating a a, a passion for things and intrigue, and the food uh, the food components and traveling. Uh, the girls are starting to get with Mel, not yet, but Emeline starting to be curious about it as well. And uh, they they do dares, and then I tell you to eat this and try that. And and actually, we we have a friend that is Vietnamese, uh, and we went to LA. So I did a little surprise uh, for the first of the year. We went to Disneyland, and then we ended up in the Vietnamese uh, restaurant, Vietnamese community, uh, and it was fantastic because they were trying all types of food, and even our friends were surprised how much they would eat and try different different of the dishes because they were very traditional dishes and I think that's for me that's really exciting because I want to travel with them and I want to take them anywhere and I don't want to be held back with oh I don't like this or be fear you know you, but at least you try you have uh, you're curious you want to know your own knowledge and then I think that curiosity translates in other things in life and I don't know if you start reading and enjoy reading then you'll have a curiosity for that. That would be the, the fond memories. Yes, for sure. I think life's about experiences, and that's what you're sharing with them, unique experiences. So is there a tradition on Father's Day? Do your kids do something routinely for you? So usually they have a little gift or a little word or poem. Uh, mostly we spend the day together, just mark it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we have a, a tradition per se as a family. But we're more in the 
spending spending time together make it even more um, so sometimes i'll say like no friends you know just just you guys so that's a little bit selfish but but that's what you like so yes. that's good yes okay do you hope one of your kids becomes a winemaker um is that one of your wishes if if they so choose to follow in your footsteps yeah i think you know they are in the first row for discovering wine and being immersed into wine and have i think a lot of pool to help them become someone in the wine industry uh but i want it to come from them uh for me i came in the wine business uh, very a cousin that were very very close six months apart and he's the winemaker for my uncle's winery in france but when i was studying i didn't really know what i wanted to do i mean it's my mom was pushing me to become an engineer uh and i didn't have too much of a clue or a selective things and so i went and started to study with him and we studied together wine then i tried to get out of it as much as i could because it's rough work and um uh, it, you know in france you start with the farming work you go pick up rocks in the vineyard for hours and that doesn't create a passion usually <laughs> uh so maybe the opposite right <laughs> yes and and but I, i was in there early on you know and being immersed early on uh i liked wine i liked drinking wine i i, I would like drink chateauneufs with my and sauternes with my grandpa Uh, with my stepdad, I would drink Beaujolais, a little bit of Burgundy, and some Bordeaux. So I, I knew the different flavors. With my cousin, we'll do a lot of Southwest wine, uh, a couple of uh, Grand Cru because they had a distribution company. So we'll go sneak a couple bottles out. That that passion at some point led to, you know, more better and better jobs. I, I would arrive for an internship, but I already have harvest full harvest you know full seasons under my belt right. and so I, i i got every time pretty good internships and that kept me on board and then one day i decided to focus and I'm like if you want to go somewhere in life just put your head down and focus well you have an impressive resume shall we say yeah I mean, you worked at lafitte rothschild yeah. not too many people can say that no I'm not going to go through your resume one by one, but then you did work under Philippe Malka here in California. But what I would like to ask is, how did you choose to come to California? I mean, if I was at Lafitte Rothschild, I would just stay there unless I couldn't move up the and, chain. And if you lived on the French Riviera? Yeah, it all sounds pretty glamorous to me. So I think it's a combination of factors, um, and they're pretty big factors. Okay. Uh, but it's a combination. Um, I grew up with a winemaking family, with my uncle, my cousins, and it's a pretty tight and divided family as well. You know, there was a big divorce in it, and I, my mom's side, dad's side, there was a lot of uh, uh, tension. But I've been always in between, you know, and I kept the relationship with everyone. So I needed a place to emancipate and fly away from the nest. And one of my feeling was if you leave that environment that is kind of protective as well because you're close to your family, you're a little more hungry, you'll run a little faster, you know, you have no net, so you just 
work, work, work. Yeah, you, you become a little more, I think the fear helps you stay honest. Um, at the time, I flew between California and Angers, and I met Ilan, which is American. So uh, that helped to... Motivate you. Exactly. Uh, and to also have... Uh, that was an access to be able to travel. Mm -hmm. uh, and my great friend that I studied with, Pierre from Chateau Montredon, uh, was his last year before he joined his family. And he, he had one more chance of doing something else outside of the family and so we came to california and he worked for joseph phelps and i worked with sarah Gott at quintessa and ilan was here in the bay area and so that gave me the first taste of napa and what it is in napa and i felt that napa was growing it was a quality of life it's like very similar to provence in terms of weather the shore is a little further and colder but you have that good weather, good lifestyle. And I saw a booming industry that is following the path of the French industry. It's wine somehow is drunk locally, is collected. There is a pattern to it that you don't reinvent. And um, where in France, things are very stratified. And I've put water in my wine since then. But at that time, for me, things were very stratified. It will take years to progress. It's very complicated, and you're in a shrinking environment, so getting more difficult. I felt like coming to Napa, coming to the U.S., was a lot of opportunities. Since then, I've seen company transforming and developing and blossoming. My cousins used to be a couple thousand cases when I left. I think they passed a million ball. Oh, my goodness. They just got purchased by Pernod Ricard, and now they're going to become big big bigger winery we're gonna see it more and more here um but so I, I there is opportunities i didn't see in france that i knew i would have here and so that was attractive yes and i was even thinking i remember at the embassy i said well what happened if i don't get my green card or visa and we'll be like oh well we'll go to like new zealand or somewhere else and add in that idea to go I uh, just, I didn't know where or where opportunities were. But it all worked out. And then you you teamed up with Philippe, another Frenchman. Yes. <laughs> Which worked out really nicely. Uh, I came on board with Philippe for a, for a seasonal job. My interview was basically, a, I know how to run the press. And he's like, so Marie-Laure was pregnant with a baby due in harvest. Oh, wow. And so I came on board to help. And then at the end of har harvest, I was starting to look for a full-time job somewhere else. And uh, I remember one of the interviews, the guy called me back. He's like, oh, but Philip told, told me he tried to keep you. He's trying to keep you. So I, I talked to Philip. I was like, Philip, you want me to stay on board? Or like, should I continue to do interviews? What's up? And he's like, well, I'm trying to, you know, and it was, you know, that's what, 15 years ago. So he was starting to grow slowly. And, you know, keeping me and Marie on board was a stretch. So... He helped me start my consulting as well. So the eight years I spent with him, I've been a little bit in both worlds where I had my company. I was starting uh, the wine business to start Azure, you know, start all this. And then uh, grew that part and grew with him too. Oh, perfect. And that was, uh, yeah, it's been perfect eight years. I think uh, Philippe uh, brought a lot of... Uh, 
brought me, exposed me to a lot of vineyards, made me discover Napa Valley in detail, basically. I mean, his portfolio is pretty detailed. Um, so it was an opportunity to learn and to work with so many people, so many, uh, you know, I was piercing your your podcast and I see all those people that I work with and, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting. Would you say that he was someone that, that mentored you or was there someone else that really influenced your career? I think Philippe uh, is truly a mentor. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know how people portray mentors. Sometimes I feel like they look for a teacher. Uh, for me, I think the time spent with him, you know, and the consistency and the amount of work we did together uh, uh, taught me, formatted me into making wine. And one of the questions when I left is like, what are going to be my wine? What is, I didn't want it to be, you know, Philip Copycat. Right. But at the same time to identify who you are, what you do, how you make things differently, uh, how, how the wines and. But he doesn't make a rosé and you really kind of established yourself with your Azura rosé. So. Which was Provence style yeah. and fantastic. You know, you, you bring the bad habits with you. Right. Um, yes, and that was a way also to start to make my own wine mm -hmm. and being non-competitive. You know, you work in Napa Cab and right. you're the little guy with the rosé project <laughs> and people are like, okay, that's nice, that's cute, thank right. you. Um, and th that's, uh, that, was, uh, that was the early years to, you know, then start to make red wines. And, uh, but... That, that was a way to get my differentiate feet wet. yourself. Yes, differentiate. And I also believed in rosé. I mean, mm -hmm. I did. I did too a long time ago. In France, people don't realize it's the number two production. It's red, rosé, and then white. Oh, fascinating. Yes. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff Morgan. Oh, yes. That's Covenant. Mm -hmm. And early on, he was very supportive. And I remember he had the Solar Rosa project. And when he stopped it, I was like, well, why are you stopping it? You know, and he told me, he's like, I started too early. Mm. You're in the right time. And he's been always very supportive and, uh, you know, good friend too. Um, but it was exciting to see that. I mean, you're young and starting and you have zero trust in yourself. You don't know, <laughs> hey, can I do again what I did last year, you know? And, and so having support from people that are in the industry for so many years has, has been exciting. So, so Philippe, was a good mentor, a good person to kind of help you along the way, help show you a variety of things, help you start your own brand, allowed you the opportunity to start your own brand. There, there was two people actually in the U.S. The The first one is Philippe mm -hmm. and really on the technical, the wine side. And the other person is Cal Nicholson, the Nicholson Jones. Mm -hmm. And Cal is, uh, you know, he's been with Kraft Food and Duracell Marketing, uh, Corporate America and retired early on to support his wife actually they did an incredible career and uh started the wine business as of passion and he's the one that kind of guided me in business and how to build the companies how to structure yourself uh we built covered estate here and i remember at the beginning it's like well why are you spending so much money on lawyers and uh i can do quickbooks I, we don't need an accounting office and and then now i realize it i'm like okay but you structure yourself right mm -hmm. and so now you can rely on your numbers and you can rely on your decision and your trademarks are done right and this and that. and so they taught me another side 
Philippe is not business at all. You know, he's wine, <laughs> wine. winemaker. Uh, I mean, he's sharp, but Cal was more the American method of business. Right. And so that that was great eye-opening. It helped me get into my master MBA at Davis and uh, coached me through it as well. And that was for me an American diploma first. So I had... You know that was important yeah i think it's an american it's a reference and i have something that's american and do an mba in the u.s i think is you know you don't wine in france and business in america yeah perfect that works a nice combination <laughs> but i think that's the two people that really uh helped me structure myself and become technical both in how to run a company and how to make wine how to be where you are today now you have your own brand, and you are the winemaker for several other wineries. But you have your own wine brand called Julianne Fayard, which is super cool. How is it to stand next to a bottle of wine with your own name on it? So, you know, yeah. it's one yes. thing to make it, but now you've got a bottle that says Julian Viard on it. So, what gave me the confidence to put my name on it yeah. is, uh, <laughs> is actually Nancy DeCorn. Okay. She came to visit Covert and she was like, Don't give me the bush- bullshit spill. I'm like, Nancy, you've been around. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to try. But, and she had that comment is like, Well, people put all those fancy names, but we don't know who's who. And it's a little bit, you know, at the time when the Mondavi came and put Mondavi in the crews and put crews. Right. So um, I found it was pretty well coined. And I was like, well, yes, put your name on it. Some people say, well, what happened if you sell the brand and so forth? So I was like, well, you know, we'll cross that bridge. Uh, but I think there is another part to that brand is every single single vineyard is a personal relationship and a really close relationship. Um, I have beautiful vineyards that I buy that I don't have the same level of relationship. And uh, before the wine is the relationship with the farmer. And that's really what decide makes me decide to put the wine in the bottle. And so having my name on it is also that other half. So, yeah, you know, you have the name of the vineyard, or the, like Henry Martinez, it's the Martinez vineyard. Um and it's, you know, it's relationship you build over time. They allow you in the vineyard because they, they value you as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just, there's plethora of people that make good wine. But when you have that personal relationship, then it goes a little bit further. And so that's why I think having my name on it was good. Well, I mean, you have a fantastic name, but it was probably about time that you had a wine with your name on it, too, because you should be showing off uh, your own wine instead of making wine for, you know, everybody else. So Yes, and I think also uh, committing, you know, is good. So you put a name on it, you can't miss because my name is <laughs> <laughs> Top moment of your career so far. Ooh, that's, that's a good question um there's so many right yes i mean there is you know uh the 100 point from sleeping lady i think this one i didn't see it coming and uh it's been a pretty exciting one because like one more time the relationship with the bettinelli's they it's a family tradition that now they're really dedicated into making high quality farming and high quality grapes 
So to be able to bring that to their vineyard, yeah, it was the first 100 point in the vineyard. So that vineyard, a couple of years ago, I will ask clients if they wanted some fruit, and they'll be like, well, we don't know what that is. And now there's a line ready. And so it's also giving back that way. You know, it's like the effort, the energy they put in, it's a full circle. They, they trusted me early on, and now I'm able to give them something, you know, on the, on the other hand. Um, I think the journey is the whole thing, you know. I mean, started here drilling for water and at covert and um, like find water will buy the estate and then we build that winery, you know, and building the clientele, building the team. That's the last three years has been all about building the team to support. You know, a lot of people say, oh, Julian, he makes wine for so many people. How does he do it? I do it because people take care of stuff and take care of the details behind or allows me to stay close to the wine and stay in the details while they take care of the logistic, the structure. And that's, um, I think, the hardest part of growing. And I think the challenge in companies that stay small, you can stay small and do everything yourself. And I think it's a character thing. But also, I would not say I'm a good manager. I'm learning to become one. And so that's the journey too. So it's, and it became a technical journey. Now it's more a, a human journey, you know, it's a people relationship journey. Right. And so managing expectation and having people that are really passionate. And I know like the sales get people we hire, they are like, we're so excited because it's so easy to sell. We don't have to force it. Right. And I'm like, that's beautiful compliment you know and and i'm also happy that they uh, feel that way yeah no and that they perceive it that way you know (laughs) and it's consistent so (laughs) that's exciting which makes me want to ask the question and i should have asked it earlier how would you describe a julian bayard wine so that's the answer to what we talked about earlier like what's going to make me different from you know, when I was making wineries for you. I mean, I, no, I I think you're fantastic. And I've, I've tasted several of your wines. And everyone is a little unique but special in its own unique way. But I'm not sure I could I could define it. But I'm hoping that you can. Yes. So I coined it with, um, it's California with a French restraint. Mm. And what I believe is we've raced for concentration and power. And it's been achieved, and it's been overachieved. Um, and the finesse in wine, and you know, that's something. So, an exceptional wine, if you take the Bordeaux standard for Cabernet Sauvignon, is going to be ten years. And at ten years, the wine needs to be fresh and young, and you need to have that aromatics that developed over time. And usually, the enemy of those nose and bouquet and perfume is sun. Ripeness, over-ripeness, uh, too much oak, too much heavy fermentation. So it's learning to push those maturity with a little bit of restraint. So you conserve that. And when you have a wine that has 10 or 15 years on it that hasn't changed, I call it the research for eternal use. And we're all into that. Uh, and when you find those bottles, and I think in California we're blessed, and especially in Napa, uh, with fruit that are able to age and achieve that concentration. But as the American population is learning to eat less sugary, less sweet, the palates are changing. 
And so the sensitivity to those tastes and flavors is coming along with a lot of knowledge. And people are teaching themselves. And it goes beyond wine. It's in food. And people used to uh, eat Wonder Bread. And now they eat baguettes. And it's really in that direction. And I think the whole country, you go in the middle of the U.S. and you'll find farm-to-table restaurants. And the farm-to-table curate their table. So they're going to curate their wine list. And so it, it's a big circle. And I think we are we're heading there. And that's why wine is doing so well in the U.S. So I have to ask, what's ahead? What's ahead? <laughs> for you and the wine world? Um, yeah, we're going to keep going for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> um, you know, it's slowly and surely. I think, you know, I mean, um, one reason I make wine also is the portfolio, the way it's built is, you know, I kind of talk, talk, took that from Philippe, but it's also um, just uh, curiosity. You know, and it's just to be curious. I'm kind of embarrassed to ask this. Are all of your clients Napa Valley? No. No, but most of it are. But um, like I started in the foothills. Okay. So, you know, Azure was in the foothills. So I spent, people don't know that, but I spent 15 years in the foothills making wine. And now I started to make, uh, so it's mostly Rhone, small estate called Skinner Vineyards. Uh, they're very dedicated for quality. Uh, and um, there are uh, 160 plus years. So they used to have a winery that disappeared during Prohibition that they are putting it back. They purchased some of the original estates for the winery and the distillery where it's a really cool story. But the that area of California is very well located. There's a ton of people. And it's just never been properly taken care of, especially on the farming side. And there is fantastic wine that are coming out of there. Uh, I don't keep Linger and Ericsson. I mean, you take Maturix Vineyard. There's a ton and ton of more people paying attention how it's farmed and putting the right energy at the right place. So that's... So they're all California wines. Well, I make a little bit in France, too. Okay. Have you ever thought of going to Washington or Oregon? Yes and no, in the sense that... It's nice to be able to drive to the vineyard. With the friends, I mean, they have a whole team there, and we do we work a little bit on more conceptual parts, and we do stuff that are really off the wall for friends. So that's the exciting part of it. Uh, I think when you when you start to fly too far, uh, there's decisions that needs to be made in the week or within the week or two weeks. And those detailed decisions, uh, you have to be present. You have to be physically there. And you got to be in front of the tank. And the maceration, the extraction, the temperature, that's a feel. My stand-up used to say, um, he was an eye surgeon, and it would be like, oh, it's like when I visit my patients. Like you go see your tanks every day and taste them and you decide on what's, you know, what's needs to be yeah done. what drugs you're getting for the right. day um but it's i think that detail attention to detail is necessary and so being you know when when you don't have that proximity you need to have a very good team and also you need to have a lot of experience with the sites so you can kind of assess or, or guess and so 
There's plenty of work to do around here. I agree. You do it so well, so. YDD. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's move on to your personal life. So you live here in Napa, the town of Napa. Mm -hmm. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What is your style? Talk Uh, to me. Inside my house. Yes. You'll find paintings. Okay, well, talk to me about the paintings. Talk to me about your color scheme. You'll find surfboard, your decor. surfboards and paintings. Okay. So um, I have two types of surfboards. I have the ones I ride and I surf, and I have a couple of collection pieces that I found, and so and I have some in my living room. But they integrate. And then the arts, uh, it's a mix um, of local artists and uh, French artists. And I share a passion with my mom, which is um, she loves uh, the painters that painted the south of France. And a lot of them came from, you know, Belgium, Russia, northern Europe. And they started to paint Provence because there's so much light. And so you find boats and landscape and texture. And for me, it's reminiscent of where I come from. So I have a big one in my living room, which is made by Tony Dorney. Uh, Mike Donnelly and Tony lived in uh, Santa Elena. I made wine for many years for them. Yes. It's the parallel brand. And I love what Tony does. And she has a textural element to her. So a big one in the living room. Uh, and a couple of small ones around the house. Um, have some from my grandma. That oh. are Parisian. Uh, but there's a lot of color. It's, it's For me, painting is also, you know, it's a personal journey. And so sometimes in the tough moments, that's when I buy paintings. Hmm. Other than paintings, what else is, what's the decor like? The decor, so yeah, it's a little bit eclectic. Um have an Iranian rug and a very wavy maple table that uh, has been, it's a Canadian guy that does that. It's all bended. Uh, it's very cool. Blue, uh, how do you call it? It's a midnight oil blue couch. Oh, very good. Um, it's a little bit of a mix of everything. And then a couple of trinkets. Um found this cat it's a chinese cat it's a big eyes okay and i tell the kids uh this is it, it protects the house i mean that's the it's a lion technically but they call it a cat <laughs> um and so it's a big piece of wood it's about you know 30 inches long maybe bigger um i have an elephant like that too in ceramic so a little bit of parts of me when i traveled when I came here to the U.S., I took four big chests, and so there is, there is. Uh, I did a little bit time in the Navy, so I have my hat still. Uh, I have all my maps when I sailed. Um, oh, very cool. So, they, there are parts, and if you see them, there is all story to where I was and yeah, who, who I was with. You know, so. Okay, when you kick back and relax does that ever happen <laughs> first um, of all <laughs> no i do movie night with the kids okay so when you kick back and relax uh, other than your own wines what do you like to drink are you a wine person i'm a wine person okay. i am uh so what's your varietal of choice we'll we'll do that i drink french i drink spanish I love my champagnes. Um, 
I'm very curious about wines. And so I think we have a small group who developed a little bit in COVID. Yes. But everyone's somehow related to the wine business. And we have a couple non-wine people, but they are into wines. And so it's like we bring stuff. I mean, the other night I brought two bottles that I had no idea if they were good or bad. But I was like, this is like, it's a little piece of Tocalon that is uh, run by UC Davis. And they made a small bottling and I got a bottle of that. So I was like, okay, if it's good, people will appreciate for what it is. If it's not good, they'll appreciate yeah. where it comes from in the story. Uh, we open Japanese wines. We open you know, the whole world. It's like when I travel, I go and I capture a couple and I bring them back and I share them and we just drink it for what it is, have a discussion about it. So um, you just like to try wine from everywhere. Yes. And when, some, you, when yeah. you sit back and relax, you're just, uh, you just like to explore and experience. Exactly. And sometimes it's, I have, I have like, oh yeah, I need to refresh on this. And so I'll go and hunt for some wines or we do a team dinner and I go, I travel also, and I go spend a week. And like January, I was in the Rhone. Uh, we did all the Cotroti, you know. From Hermitage to Cotroti, basically, and meet a couple of producers and drink more than we could. Right. And <laughs> But it's it's very... And I usually I capture some wine. I leave it with my cousins. I ship the palette once a year and then bring it here and share it here, too. And that's that's a good way to find wine that are not necessarily imported. Right. Uh, so that's something I think uh, had a chance that people that grow up here is a lot harder is to have that access. And so I try to cultivate it and bring it back here. That's fantastic. Do you have a hobby? Do you collect something other than art and wine? Surf. Oh, yes, yeah, surf. You that's, surf. Yeah. So where's your favorite surf site? Well, I surf uh, like Bodega Bay, Salmon. You do? Wow. Um, okay. And that's kind of my... If I need to break away, that's where I go. Okay. And you'll find me somewhere on the coast away okay. from people. A couple hundred yards out. <laughs> and I think it's... Is there anything else that you can share that might surprise people about you? Do you uh, rappel down mountains? Do you skydive? I don't know. Is there something else crazy? No, it's not. Uh, like the art of disappearing in plain sight. Okay. I don't think you would disappear in plain sight. No, but that's, you know, like surfing on the coast, there's a ton of winemakers that surf. Right. And you meet them every once in a while just in passing. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, go hike a little bit, but it's, you know, I spend a lot of time with work. Right. Uh, the part I don't spend time with work, I spend with the kids. With family. That's really, I mean, for me, work supports everything. Right. And then the time spent with the kids is very important. And then surfing is my personal time. Okay. And drinking wine with friends. Okay, I, I respect that. Yeah. What kind of music do you like to listen to? That I haven't specialized myself or haven't spent too much time with music. What? Yes, it's interesting, huh? Yes. Um, I listen to a little bit of everything, but I, I like to listen to what people listen to. Oh, that's, I don't like that answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, it's just never bothered me to become too... What kind of style of music do you like? Jazz, rock? Um, that I listen to a little bit ever Caribbean? It's, no, but it's more like what mood, Classical. Are, what mood are you in? And then okay. you put something that, you know, you'll put a little house music or you'll put uh, some classical when you want to be a little more calm. 
Uh, you know, but every once in a while I do a little bit of gypsy music because I okay. like the guitar and I just I love piano. I think oh. piano is relaxing. So I I just never developed a knowledge base that is deep enough to have a conversation about music. You've done quite a bit of traveling. Is there one meaningful trip that you can share? Japan, Tokyo. Oh. Yes. Um, one day a guy came. And just to taste the wines here, and they ordered a pallet of wine, and we shipped it. And then he called back a year later and bought another pallet. You said I must go. And <laughs> so, no, I was like, what do you do with the wine? So yes. I called Ryu, and I was like, Ryu, um, I'm going to book a ticket. I'm going to come visit you and spend time with you. i never been to Japan. I wanted to, I wanted to discover Asia. So that year, I think I did Taiwan, China, Japan, like, at least five trips um but the trip in tokyo ryu is in the food business there uh they have it's a huge company but they have that arm where they have little salad uh shops um chocolate stores crepe stores juice bar but they're i mean they're very small uh but every one of them has a little corner with a wine selection and they will put the wine there but he's like i'm gonna make you discover tokyo the culinary side of it. And for a week, we did two lunch and two dinners. We nibbled a bit, so not full, but it's Japanese food also, that doesn't fill you up. And we went through all Tokyo. When we started from the street food, the secret kitchens, all the way to the Amano Hotel, and we did all the experiences that Tokyo can offer and the Japanese, and the diversity and the complexity. The cultural shock is pretty amazing. I think um, you go to Thailand, East, you speak half English, half with your hands, and you figure things out. <laughs> in Japan, I think it's the movie uh, Lost in Translation. Oh, yes. It's exactly that. Oh, my goodness. You have no way. You have, you're with a person, and you can't. You know, that's the subway, and that's the bank, and that's the post office. It's like it's, you know, it's a very developed country, and it's very clear. But you can't withdraw money in the bank. And you don't know how to get in the subway. And you ask people, and they're very kind. And they say yes, but they don't know. And some restaurants I went on my own and I had to leave because they would not serve you food. Oh, no. And the question, I mean, what was explained to me is because they don't want to disappoint you. Mm. So they rather not serve you. Mm. And so having Ryu to take me through Tokyo was pretty amazing oh. because he could explain to me everything and open doors I would never have. So And then we did more trips with him. Uh, we opened the Azure restaurant down there um and the complexity of that culture and the diversity and the quality of what they do every time i come back i'm like oh you need to do better you need to be more detailed you know it's it's a pretty amazing uh place. experience mm -hmm. yeah i've never been to any of the asian countries it sounds fantastic well and japan is is very unique in its own it's uh it's like China, you can't communicate with people, but you start drinking and everyone drinks. And it's, you know, it's like there is like a, a body language that mm -hmm. you get through. You can joke, you know, by, but Japan is its own little bubble. Also, what I like is I do most of those trips with local people mm -hmm. that I work with or we have long relationships. And so you get to discover the culture from within. And that's, I think, the amazing part. Uh when you travel, usually you surface scratch things, right. so you get an impression. 
But once you immerse yourself with someone that is in industry or in the field you're in, it becomes pretty amazing. It's a much different experience. You got a bucket list? And if so, what is one or two things on that bucket list? There's things that I miss that I like. I grew up sailing and I haven't sailed in a while. And like one of my bucket lists will be to hop on a boat and take off for six months. Oh, wouldn't that be fabulous? I'll just go for a month. I think a month would be (laughs) be pretty good. (laughs) No, but it's, you know, uh, having the kids, the family, building the business, building the wineries. It's been, I never have too much time to close and shut down. Right. And I can do it for a week or maybe two max, Mm -hmm. but I can't do it for a long period of time. And so I can't take a sabbatical, you know. Right. (laughs) It's your business. So (laughs) there is part of that that is on my bucket list is a little more adventure, but uh, it's not taking a plane and arriving in a car. And, you know, it's like a little more uh, adventurous journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do all the islands, you know, around Tahiti, you know, all the Pacific I don't know where I'm going to be in 20 years. I don't know where the kids going to do. And most likely you stay close to the kids usually. But I want to take advantage as much as I can of the Pacific. Then there's a huge question. Is I've never been in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I travel a lot, but always in the North. And so I was like, maybe going, passing the equator would be the bucket list. That should be a bucket list item. Yeah, I it's agree. It's not too hard to do. No. I think that one's attainable. Well, we're going to wrap things up now with five quick questions. So, you ready? What kind of car do you drive? Depends on the day. Okay, today. Cayenne. Okay. One of your favorite movies? Delegate of the Nights. Okay. With Will Ferrell. Okay. It's very stupid, but I love it. Okay, that's all that matters. What is one of your favorite holidays other than Father's Day? I will say Christmas. Okay. It's family time. What's the last piece of candy you ate? Girl Scout cookies. Seriously? Yes. Oh. No, you got to help the kids. Okay. Who do you call for advice? Maybe you don't need advice. <laughs> no, I have a uh, Kemi that I worked for 10 years with, you know, and we sync a lot. And Cal, I call Philippe too. We still kept a good relationship. So for me, there is a, a very... Um, helping environment in Napa Valley and you can pick up your phone and call people and they'll answer and you can have a conversation about whatever you're working on or discussion so sometimes it was like the fires but it could be also hey I'm trying to figure things out and this and that and you have always someone you have a door open everywhere which is pretty pretty spectacular and so a lot of people see the wine business as being very competitive but I see a lot of people helping each other that's really cool I agree. Julian, super fun chatting with you today, and happy Father's Day. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.